What is up, guys? This is John Nelson, and you are listening to the Starting Block Podcast. If you are looking for a podcast that is going to give you a raw and uncut look into complete athletic development, then this is the show for you. I want to welcome you today. We are, well, I am live from New Orleans, as you can see in the background. Um, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Chris, who is uh, back in Alabama. What's up, dude? What's up? Man, so we've been trying to get this show started for uh, for like the last 45 minutes. Um, I am uh, sitting in a hotel in New, uh, in New Orleans, and uh, we're having a little bit of internet trouble. So, so far, it seems like this has kind of been the reoccurring theme that we uh, we have some type of audio or internet uh, problem uh, every single time we do this. But, I don't know, we're, we're making progress now. We're getting there. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it's, I mean, what do you do when you have two... Uh... Uh, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and just call us techie morons. Is that is that would that be accurate? I'd say it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean oh, we're getting better. Though. I think every every show <laughs> every show is getting better. We may, I think we may need to pay somebody to like do this audio stuff for us at this point. But we're, no we're making progress, man. All right, so today's show we've got a good one for you. I'm going to tell you today's show. I have no script. I have no notes. Chris has no script. He has no notes. Mandy's not with us either. And so we are totally flying by the seat of our pants today. Like, we are totally winging this one. So, it's a good one, though, because this is going to be the show that you remember. This is going to be the one that you'll say, oh, man, I remember when those guys talked about all this, and this is what we've been waiting for all these years. Today, today we have... And I, I don't even need to tell you because I know that you already saw the title of this show. So you already have clicked on it and you know what this is about. Today's show. Today's show is about isometrics and the infamous extreme isometrics. Yes. You want to build on that, Chris? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's... Uh... So, you know, you hear the word isometric and you just assume you're just trying to hold still, right? Well, we know that's not the case. Yeah. You are never trying to hold still in an ISO extreme. You know, you're, what you are trying to do is pull toward the floor, which is much harder. It, it, yep. It's easier said than done. I'll put it that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, well, We'll give you guys a little background as, as to isometrics and what it's all about here, okay? So, to start out with, and, uh, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm finishing eating, too. I just got out of a, out of a course, and I, I, can't, I can't tell you guys why I'm down here yet. We'll, uh, we'll announce that one later, um, but uh, trying to slam some dinner. It's almost 8.30 out here right now. So, um, all right, extreme isometrics. <laughs> Do what? And while you're winging it, right, why not? Let's let's eat. Let's do whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let's hit. Let's hit. Oh, it. absolutely, man. Which, by the way, shout out to Outback Steakhouse. Like this is the first time I've had Outback, and I couldn't even tell you how long. Man, it's really good. So, all right, extreme isometrics. So, there's a lot of stuff out there, and there's a lot of good stuff out there. Yes, a lot of stuff out there though is not really coming from necessarily all the you know sources that had firsthand knowledge. There are some people out there giving good info, but there is a lot of confusion out there as to kind of what they are. Now, extreme isometrics kind of you know became super popular back in well, what Chris like the early early two thousands. Is that what you would say? Well, that's probably the first time I heard of it, um, but okay. I think it's actually been around a lot, a good bit longer than that. I know. Um, one of, uh, one of my mentors, Jay Schroeder was, uh, was the first person I heard that term from, um, it's, it's right. a, is absolute backbone of his, all of his programs. And when you understand that, that all of your movements, whether it be an ISO extreme itself, a rebound where you're. Basically, I mean, we'll get into what rebounds are at some time, but think of jumping. The, the, the fundamental position of a rebound movement, the fundamental position of a altitude movement, are all, the, the foundational position is all iso-extreme. 
So when you when you right start to understand that, I mean, when you realize it is actually the fundamental position that everything else builds on, you begin to realize just how important you know getting good and, and becoming proficient at ISO extremes really is. Right. Yeah. No. So. So like like we we're like Chris was saying. So you know, Jay Schroeder really brought ISO extremes, and and and, and we g- give Jay credit. Like this is his term, not ours. So like this is you know this is Jay's term, and you know ISO extremes kind of became popular. Probably like we said early you know two thousands late nineteen ninety something somewhere right, right around there. And he's kind of the guy that you know really brought him to the forefront. And you know there, there's a lot of info out there. And, about it, but you know, Chris and I'll give credit to him because that, that's where we learned it. You know, I think Chris, you probably worked under Jay directly. Um, right. I worked under some of the other, um, some of the other guys that trained on him directly. You know, so um, you know some of his other colleagues and uh, you know and, and business partners. I worked with them. I never worked with Jay specifically, um, but like Tommy John, I worked with Tommy. I worked with Dan. Um, you know, and we'll talk about those guys later, but. Um, basically the, the, the concept of ice extremes and, and really the whole, the whole purpose of, you know, uh, of their being and, and, and how you build upon them. So ISOs are designed to do really a number of different things, but one of the base elements of it is they're designed to teach position. And so like, I know Chris, like I hear it all the time, like, you know, we're kind of known like, Oh, we're the, we're the people that do these, these ISOs and like these kids don't quite understand you know, the purpose behind them, but, you know, fast forward, they get into college and end up coming back to us and like, Oh yeah, you know, our, our college coach does ISOs too. And it's like, uh, well maybe, but Oh well, no, no, they do them just like you guys. No, pro- probably not. Um, and, and so Chris, why, why don't you talk on like the theory of, of like of why ISO extreme, like what ISO extreme means and really what that, fundamental purposes like why we do them in the beginning of a program and 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 how that is really the the catalyst for everything else that you kind of just started talking about like the altitudes and 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 rebounds and it's like why are extreme isometrics the beginning stages and should be the beginning stages for any athlete or or quite honestly man like honestly somebody trying to just move and feel better like why why are they the beginning well First of all, if um, I want to, I want to go on to say I know you said beginning, but it's really throughout an athlete's career. All right, so you could take somebody who is a ten-year veteran in any professional at the most elite level, and I will. And theoretically, you could do it forever, but they might never come back. <laughs> right, right, especially if that's all you you know, you're basing your entire program around. Them. That's true because they do get boring, right. Yeah, that said, but they never get, they never lose their benefit. So, think about if I if I put you in a in a wall squat, all right. So let's let's think about it in terms of you know someone you know they they got pun they are getting punished from their coach at school and that and that coach is going to put them in a wall squat. Okay, maybe that was just me that I'm referring to, but they are going to sit them up against the wall, back against the wall. All right, got to hold that position for whatever till the coach feels tired, right? What are you trying to do? So, if I, if I, what, what ends up happening in a case like that? What part of the body starts? Burning? Well, most people. Well, right, the quads are usually going to start taking over. And that's what most people are going to focus on, right? And you're going to see their feet. They're going to slide out from under them, and they're going to try to. Re- they're going to do everything they can to straighten their knees out and prop themselves up. And that's typically what you see. And that might be an isometric or some version of an isometric, but it's not an ISO extreme. When, you're, when you are executing any ISO extreme, you're actually trying to pull yourself toward the floor. So in the, this same case of this wall squat, you're not holding yourself up with your quads. You're pulling yourself down with the muscle opposite the quads. So in this case, think of trying to pull your feet underneath you. But of course, your feet can't be pulled underneath you because they're digging into the ground, right? So yep. the muscle opposite the quads, the hamstrings, you're pulling yourself down toward the floor using the hamstrings. So we're in the same position, 
pulling toward the floor, really trying to gain, engage the muscle opposite of what you're thinking. So, right. And so a, why, why don't you tell, tell the audience, like why, why is that concept so important? Why are we engaging the opposing muscle group? Well, number one, you're always pulling toward the floor. If you are doing these, these ISO extremes, it's, it actually recovers you as fast as it trains you. So, okay, so let's go back to that wall squat. Again, we're using this as an example because it's a, it's a basic example that most people can even picture in their minds, right? So we're going to get them in a wall squat. They're pulling toward the floor, so they're actually engaging their hamstrings. If, if they're doing that, their quad muscles should not really feel the fatigue. But yet, are their quads shut off? Well, if they did, what would happen? I mean, if your quads were to shut off, what would happen to that person? They would collapse to the floor. Right. So the quads are engaged, but they're lengthening because the hamstrings are shortening. Okay, you lengthen the quads you short by intentionally trying to shorten the hamstrings. As a result the quad muscles recover as fast as they train. Right. So let, let, let's, let's go to that point a little bit. Um, because I think it's one we need to touch on is the concept of, you know, contraction and, and lengthening. Um, and, and this is honestly, that, that is one of the fundamental reasons why traditional training that you see is, is, is not right it's it's improper for an athlete um you know I, I always say size is not equal strength and and you know i'm I'm a firm believer in that but you, you have a lot of athletes and a lot of strength coaches i mean even at the highest level who still train in this this repetition method or bodybuilding style method or even a even olympic lifting to a degree where we're not actually training the body to do what it is designed to do. And so, like, Chris, I'm going to build on what you said. It's this whole contract and release concept that is really, really, really important when you're doing isometrics. And, and quite frankly, there's, you know, there's probably four or five elements that we have to really you know, incorporate when we're doing them. But this is one of the elements that is extremely important. So... Most people think like, you know, let's just say, let's just use biceps. That's an easy one to use. You know, when you're doing like a bicep curl, for example, you know, you're told to, okay, curl up and then slowly lower down. Well, that's actually not how the body works. So like when I'm executing elbow flexion, that is the bicep. And so if you're, you know, if you're listening to this, elbow flexion would be a bicep curl, for example, okay? Elbow extension is, you know, basically, you know, the, the palm coming down. It's like, you know, it's just extending the arm to the straight point. So elbow flexion, the bicep actually does that. But now elbow flexion can only occur as much as the tricep can lengthen. The bicep can only contract as fast as the tricep can lengthen. And that that goes for the entire body. It goes through it goes for everything. This is why isolation training is such an outdated concept. And quite frankly, it's a damn shame that there are still coaches out there doing this all the time. And and, and people even higher in the rehab and medical fields like isolation training is <laughs> it's an old school theory like it, it's not how the body works the body does not work in isolation so if i'm doing a bicep curl and i slowly tell the arm to lower so lower the weight down well if lowering the weight down if that is elbow extension the tricep is responsible for elbow extension not the bicep so if i have started that eccentric or that lowering of the weight now and i'm focusing on the bicep am i training the muscles to do their job and the answer to that question is no you're not you're training the opposite of what is actually supposed to happen right so again yeah you're, and, you're, and and that concept is is missed in traditional training and like i don't it, it's not rocket science like that's how the body works so like that is such a fundamental element of of, of isometrics and i still 
don't understand why people can't figure that out. Like, I don't know. Do you, you got any thought on that one, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I think because of considering our audience, um, think, think of pitching. Okay. We're going to use a pitcher and, Okay, I, I, I would I actually this, this is probably the worst, <laughs> probably one of the worst examples because every pitcher knows that the lower body and the trunk are heavily involved in pitching. But for the sake of this example, let's take the the lower body and the trunk out of the example. Okay. Hey, hold on, I'm, I, I stopped you right there, Chris. So did you yeah. see this guy that threw out the first pitch like last night? I, I think it was the other night. So like. If you're listening to this podcast, we're like a you know a couple of days out. But the guy had no arms and he threw it with his foot. Did you see this? I didn't see it. That's pretty awesome. Oh, oh it was it was it was so cool. Yeah, it was actually a really good strike too. But anyways, keep going, keep going. Nice, awesome. Well, so picture you know taking that base, but you're a pitcher and you're about to throw the ba- the baseball, and you're pulling your arm. You know the arm goes back. Okay, in, in, in order to throw it to the catcher, first the arm is going to move away from the catcher, correct? So, correct. So it's not like you're going to have – there's no rubber band back there pulling your arm back. There's no tractor back there pulling your arm back. You use muscles like the back of the shoulder. You use muscles like the rhomboids. You use muscles like parts of the uh, external rotator cuff to pull the arm back. Right, the lats a little bit, pull the arm back. Then those muscles have to, you're, and then as a result of pulling the arm back, you put some other muscles on a stretch. You put the pectoral muscles on a stretch. You put the front delts, the front shoulder muscles on a stretch. And it creates like a slingshot effect. So once I pull that arm back, now those muscles that pulled the arm back have to let go in order for the muscles in the front of the body to turn on and start pulling that arm back to the front. And again, keep in mind, I realize I'm oversimplifying this because we all know that the trunk and the legs are heavily involved, but sure, we're turning those muscles on the front of the body on to pull that arm through. So now you're creating not only a slingshot effect, but you're also creating a very, very rapid muscle shortening on the muscles in front of the body. Once I've released the ball, now your now your arm has to start to decelerate. Okay, you don't want your your shoulder or your arm to become disconnected from your body. That would not be a good idea for a pitcher. So or for anybody for that matter. So you have to then once you've released that ball, you have to start slowing the arm down. Well now the bicep has had better be intact in the right position whatever in order to decelerate elbow extension so so going back to your original example your bicep okay your bicep can flex or bend the elbow but it can also slow down extension of the elbow right right it can can do both it can bend the elbow or slow down straightening of the elbow well in this case the bicep in pitching has to slow down a very fast extending elbow, okay? That elbow's straightening out very fast, and that bicep has got to kick in. Okay, that's that's why, one of the reasons why, you know, someone who has a bad, who has a bicep tendon that chronically is subluxed can actually have a, an elbow problem, okay? Their elbow is totally mistimed with their shoulder. So... Mm-hmm. That's not the only problem they can have, but certainly that's a that is a significant problem that can result. It's definitely yeah, definitely something to pay attention to for sure. So, when you understand that muscles have to move in opposites, they have to move with an on-off switch. Uh, one set of muscles turns on. As soon as I get it in the right position, they immediately have to turn off, and the opposite muscles have to turn on. And usually, those muscles are having to fire very very fast. I have to do it at very high velocity. Not necessarily with a lot of force, although there, there's a lot of there's exceptions to that, like a lineman in football, for example. Yes, there's mm-hmm. certainly you know you might have to move someone equal size or bigger than yourself. But in, in the case of a lot of sports like baseball, whatever that baseball doesn't weigh very much, so you're going to have to move that thing very fast, very rapidly, and that's uh, 
certainly where, uh, you know, understanding, you know, that, 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 the reversal, pulling into the ground using the muscles opposite of you know, the counterintuitive uh, concept of an iso extreme. Instead of holding yourself up, you're pulling yourself down using the muscles opposite, pulling toward the floor, pulling toward the ground. Um, understanding that on-off switch, I mean, it's, it's critical, and that's heavy of what you know what what athletic training ought to be. At least yep. in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm right there with him. I mean, we'll, you know, I'll steal this. I'm going to steal this phrase from Dan. And, you know, Dan, I know you're going to be on the show soon. But, uh, you know, I'm going I'm to steal your quote. It's like, you know, I, I, I have parents call me all the time. Oh, my son got faster. It must have been all those, you know, speed, you know, speed drills and agility ladders you did. No, no, it's not. They literally just sat in a position. That's right. it. That's all they did. And, you know, and then I get the, what, what do you mean? Well, it's because they, <coughs> excuse me, they got faster because ultimately speed is simply how fast you can turn muscles on and off. Now that's kind of a very simplified version. There's, there's a lot of, there's other factors that play a role in it, but I mean, the Russians figured this out years ago. I think we, I think we've talked about this already. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just making that up, but no, I mean, the Russians figured that out a long time ago that, you know, premier athletes the elite level athletes you know were able to turn their muscles on and off faster than you know the average athlete so to speak even even high levels had nothing to do with their strength had everything to do with how fast they turn things on and off so so engaging the proper muscles when you're doing an iso iso extreme or isometric is extremely important because if you're not actively pulling you are not going to be firing the proper musculature and you're not going to be sending the proper feedback to the nervous system. Okay. So when you are engaging the right muscles, you are sending feedback through the fastest neuron that the body has. All right. That is a very important thing that you need to take away from this. So if you're doing the wall squat, like Chris said, yeah, you may feel it in the quads a little bit, but that is not the area that you're training. If you are focusing on your quads, you're actually getting slower. And so I'll say that again for the people in the back and coaches and parents. If you are focusing on the quads in a wall set, you are actually getting slower because you are training the wrong firing pattern. So how you engage is unbelievably important. So that would kind of be element one. Element two, I would say, I mean, we're not going in any specific order here, I guess. But element two would be the 90 degree angle. And... <laughs> and I'm already going into uh, some people that are very popular on Instagram and social media and they're eccentric isometrics. And yeah, well, I'm not going to go into that, but 90 degree angles and they charge a lot of money for you to understand what 90 degree angles do. Um, but we'll go ahead and tell you that for free. Um, it's really important that when you do ISOs that you have a 90 degree angle at the joint you are working on and Chris I mean jump in jump in here whenever you want man like I'm not I'm not trying to take over but you know me man like once I get heated I get going and I'm super oh, passionate yeah. about this because I hear all the BS around there people are trying to get us on podcasts and try to get this information for us for for 10 freaking years now and you know so I'm tired of hearing it butchered especially about people who can't really do it so anyway, the point is what the point is is that 90 degree angles are very important the reason the 90 degree angles are very important because that is the optimal reason for the oscillation of the muscle around the joint. They kind of talk to each other back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so the faster that that communication happens, the faster that you are getting what Chris was talking about, that contraction and lengthening effect. 90 degree angles at the joint that you're working creates the fastest oscillation around the joint. And that is ultimately what's going to fire the proper neurons and get the feedback to the nervous system to tell the muscles what to do and ultimately develop speed. Chris, you got, you want, you want to follow up on that at all? Or did I just nail that one perfectly, man? Most of the time, most of the errors you'll see are people stay too way too high, meaning they never get to 90. I mean, I rarely stop anyone from actually going to failure. So in which case they might actually drop a little bit below that. But for the most part, what you'll see is, is uh, most people are, are, are afraid of anything of even getting the 90. So usually the problem we run into is having to get someone to get lower, like get 
closer to the floor. You know, they want to stop shy and it's, uh, you know, and then, you know, stop a hundred times, reset, you know, it's like, there's, there's a lot of benefit to, to taking some of these, uh, uh, ISO extremes and go till you fail, you know, it's uh, a go to you. You brought up a really good point there. And I think, I think I want to, you know, touch on that and clarify is, you know, when we talk about 90, like, so we'll just use the wall sit, even though, you know, the waltz is not one of my favorites, but, um, you know, yeah, like my, the waltz is. So we talk, so what's that, Chris? I said mine either. It's just, but it just, it's easy yeah. for some picture. Yeah, you're right. So when we talk about 90, it, it's, it's not exactly like the shin and the thigh at 90 degrees as much as, as it is that actual shin at 90 degrees to the ground. And that that's a differentiating factor. Is it's the shin at ninety to the ground. The thigh might be a little bit higher because you're gonna. You may have to start just a little bit higher because of like what Chris said, kind of that fear of even getting down there. It's it's the angle at which the joint you're working is actually angled towards the ground, and that that's what I'm referring to. I may I may have made that sound confusing a few minutes ago. Um, and so like in the lunge, same thing. Shin is nine. Shin is ninety degrees. The the push up. Same thing. Forearm is 90 degrees. The preacher curl, same thing. The humerus is 90 degrees to the ground. Or, well, 90, excuse me, 90 degrees, you know, in, in relation to your body and your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scab hang, same thing. The forearms are 90 degrees to the ground. So it's 90 degree, 90 degree, 90 degree. And you don't need, you know, to pay me $500, you know, for your extreme isometric, you know, what 90 degrees means. Um, I'll let other people do that. Um, but, yeah, so, so the 90 degree angle. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be 90 degrees. So like, I think in the, in the pushup, that's a very, you know, good example. So like the forearm needs to be 90 degrees to the ground, but the elbow is about 45 degrees away from the body. And so there are some subtle variations in there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they're right. They're right. So yes, the night. Yeah, you. That's and that's that's the reason to be specific on the on the when I, when I was just clarifying. Yes, I mean, we, so when anytime you see a variation of an ISO extreme called super slow, you know, you've probably seen the phrase super slow, or John, you might even use that phrase sometimes. Oh yeah, I use the extreme slow. Yep. So the so the extreme slow is a, you know, it's pretty much the same thing as an ISO extreme in a lot of ways. In that. You know, certainly the the working joint is that is at that ninety degree angle. However, in this case, again, using the wall sit again because it's someone you can picture you can picture the exercise. Shin is ninety degrees from the floor, but that thigh, the knee joint angle may vary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Of it, and then you're actually going to work below it, um, and that can be true of of any of them, of any of the exercises, push up or or a lunge or uh, a scat pull or bicep curl or what any of you name it. Right. Right. So, all right. So off the top, we've got pulling and pulling down towards the extreme position. Number one, number two, 90 degree angles of that joint that you are working. Okay. That's number two. Now, number three, Number three is going to go into kind of the the type of isometric that you're you're working. So there are basically two two types of isometrics you can do. You you can do a yielding or an overcoming, and like a yielding is what we were kind of talking about is like extreme slow. So like you're fighting the fatigue throughout the range of motion into that extreme range of motion. Some who are listening to this may even recognize the critical joint angle. All right. It is the weakest angle of the body or the weakest angle of the joint. All right. So that's a yielding. But then you also have the overcoming isometric. And Dr. Sif, you know, talks about this in super training, which, you know, if you're an athlete or a parent, well, yeah, if you're an athlete or a parent or a coach and you have not gone through super training, Super training is basically the Bible for strength and conditioning coaches. <laughs> and for strength and conditioning coaches, it pretty much is, right? Like, and so Dr. Sif was a, was a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, 
You know, I never, I was never fortunate enough to meet him. I wish I, Chris, did you ever meet Dr. Dr. Never, never did. No, he never did. No. I mean, I know Dan did, but yeah, I never got a chance to meet him, but I mean, his, his work's excellent. I've got a lot of, you know, a lot of his stuff on my shelf, but you know, he talks about in super training, the difference between yielding and overcoming. So again, yielding isometrics are going to be fighting the fatigue throughout the range of motion. And that's kind of what we've talked about already. There's also overcoming. And so you have to make sure that when you're doing isometrics, you understand what you're trying to train. Are you doing an extreme slow and like a yielding or an overcoming? Because they're kind of two different concepts. And like, we could talk about this for hours. Like we're already at 30 minutes and like, <laughs> I, think, I think all of our, all, I think all of our other podcasts have only been like 30, 40 minutes and right. we're not even like a quarter away through this. I mean, yeah, we, we could keep going forever, but you know, I, I, Chris, I think, you know, Kelly might get mad if I keep you on here too long. And I know I, I know I got to get some sleep too. I got another early morning tomorrow, but well, let, me, let me challenge everyone to try <laughs> one thing. Um, if, if you're listening, so if you have access to a power rack, then with, with spotter racks, um, you, you can actually do uh, an exercise that incorporates both. Uh, in, you know, any one of my athletes can, can, uh, knows what I'm talking about, but, um, I want you to try what's called a pin lunge. All right. A pin lunge, take your, take your spotter racks and turn them upside down. Okay. So your racks are the, the bar goes, it's going to be, it's going to be facing down toward the floor, not ready to catch your bar. Okay. Your bar is going to go up into your power rack. Right. I think the ELP athletes are shutting off this podcast right now. They're like, nope, screw this. I'm done. I've already, I know, I know where you're going. I'm finished. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to take your power rack. You're going to put it upside down. All right. You want to put that power rack, like you want to be challenging that low point of that ISO extreme lunge. So you want that, that is 90 degrees. They cannot get above that point. Okay, they're going to push into that rack for 10 seconds. They're going to hold the Olympic bar. The bars, they're going to be lunging up into the power rack, but pushing the bar into the power rack. If you can picture this. So they're doing the overcoming at this point, or or attempting to do an overcoming isometric. Then at the end of 10 seconds, they go into a, a yielding, so they pull down in toward the floor, more of a a traditional ISO extreme. So they're pulling toward the floor 10 seconds, pushing up into the rack 10 seconds. Uh, our, we would uh, try to get our athletes up every summer uh, to a bar. And by the way, I don't care if it's an Olympic bar or if it's a PVC pipe. They're going to be exhausted. It doesn't really – it really does not matter. Um, no, it doesn't matter whatsoever, no. We try to get them up to uh, three and a half minutes of work time on each leg uh, with that particular exercise. Of course, you can do it with a we do it with bench press. You could do it with you can do it with push ups. You can do it with push ups. You just need oh, yeah. a part. Um, you know, to, you know, go on and off every ten seconds. You could do it. I mean, you name it. It's 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 not hard. Well, okay, it is hard, but I mean, it's not it's not difficult <laughs> to understand the concept. I, I don't know. I don't know what you've done, Chris, but I know it's pretty hard. <laughs> At least yes, for what yes, I've done. It yes, it is hard, but uh, but yeah, it, it's 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 just one of those things that you know, just so you can kind of get if you if you're wanting to try something that puts the concept of yielding and overcoming into the same exercise and put into practice what you just spent time discussing, yielding versus overcoming. That's one exercise you can actually feel both. Yeah. Nice. All right. So a couple concepts there. Let's keep going here on a few other elements. Like I said, guys, we could do a four or five part series on all this. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to summarize all of this in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. So the difference between yielding and overcoming and, and, and how you apply them. Okay. So Chris kind of spoke on that. So let's kind of head, let's head to another element of it. So another element of it is going to be, you know, the recovery ability of isometrics. Actually, you know what? I, I want to hold on. I want to hold off on that because I feel like we actually kind of like, so we're not, we have no notes in front of us. This is all at the top of our head. And so I actually feel like we missed, you know, a, a, an important element in 
doing isometrics to eliminate compensations. Um, you know, we talked about position a little bit, but a lot of people don't know what position means for, for some of us who've been doing this for, you know, 16 years, you know, 20 years, whatever, you know, we've, we've been a part of this system for a long time to us. It makes sense, but I, I think we, I, I think we owe, you know, we owe Jay and we owe everybody else a little bit to, to explain what position means and, and why that's important in, in regards to eliminating compensations. And so like, I'll, I'll start off in saying the, you teach the beginning and the end of emotion, beginning and end. The middle is typically where all the compensations develop. And so isometrics help eliminate that. And when we, when you're dealing with athletes, it honestly, even adults these days that we have reached a point where we are so de-evolved because we have stopped doing what humans are designed to do. We live in a society where we're sitting all day. We're front chain dominant all the time. We're not back chain dominant. You know, we have horrible movement patterns. And so when we go into full ranges of motion, we just, we ingrain these compensations. And so ISOs are a great way to start to address those and eliminate them by training the beginning or the end range. And so, Chris, you want to kind of, you want, you want to dive into that a little bit more? Like, I want to hear your, hear your thoughts on what position means to you and how you communicate that to, you know, to your clients. Right. Well, if you were to, you know, look at just, just a lunge and, and kind of think back to our, um, in our topic from last week, speed, well, I mean, you're. Just, I mean, I'm going to keep a simple iso extreme lunge. All right. So, you know, picture. I'm assuming that most of the listeners probably know what I'm talking about. If you don't, uh, hang tight, and I will. Uh, I'll submit a video um, that we can. Yeah, link we'll, up. we'll have all that up on our YouTube page yeah. here really soon, guys. Like, we'll have, we'll have a breakdown of everything for you, like the proper way to do them. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, you know. If you just think of something simple like like running, you know, trying to run as fast as you can straight ahead, well, the lead leg is you know, ninety degree is, is roughly ninety degrees. I mean, it's pretty much the, the position of the top. Okay, so the beginning, if you want to call it the beginning range of motion of a sprint. All right. Is it exactly that in a sprint? Not exactly, but I mean you're pretty much at you're at the limit. You're at that well, let, let's stop right there. I'm going to interrupt you right there uh, because I, this is because I know because I've heard this before. And so I want to address it. And I'm sure you have too. is people are going to say, well, if it's not exactly sports specific, then why am I doing it? Well, first off, earmuffs, Chris, sports specific training is a bullshit term. And so you, you don't buy it. It's a marketing gimmick. OK, so he said, like you said, it's close to it. It's important that you understand that isometrics have a 15 degree of transferability based on the range of motion that you're working in. 15 degrees vertically, you know, from the from the area that you're you're training. So close enough sometimes is good enough. Close right. enough is sometimes good enough. And and I think I want to make sure some of our our parents or our athletes, you know, who have had people say, "Oh, well, it's not exactly right." Well, it's 15 degrees, give or take a little bit. So I, I want to make that point real quick. Right. So, and, sorry to interrupt so, you. Keep going. It's quite all right. I mean, and the only thing that's truly specific is actually playing the game itself. So let's, yep. uh, you know, so if you, why, why bother Preach. doing anything? Preach. Pastor, <laughs> pastor of disaster, Chris Scarborough, right here. Let's go. So, no, think of the back leg. Okay, we brought up the front leg. So think of the back leg. Well, it's in the, it's at the end range okay if, if you want to reverse them and say the back legs the beginning and the front legs the end, i don't care it doesn't matter because you're going to you're going to end up training both sides anyway but you are literally in that position training the beginning and the end one leg's in the beginning one leg's in the end you're training in the right position you're pulling yourself down with the lead hamstring you're pulling your body forward so to speak with the lead hamstring pull it's it can't win because the back leg's trying to pull you back. Okay, so you end up they end up kind of canceling each other out, and you're pulling down straight down. Hips are dropping straight down toward the floor, and that's the muscles are lengthening. So your front the leg on your your front leg the quad. I don't know about you, but I don't feel my front quad at all on an iso extreme lunge. I don't even feel it. 
Now I do feel my back hip flexor, but the big focus on yeah. that is going to be trying to extend back leg using your glute of, on your back leg. So, and as you squeeze your glute, your hip flexor is lengthening out. So, yes, again, correct. Yep. Right. Which exactly. goes into the next area of flexibility, which we'll talk about next. But yes, right. Keep going. Right. It's an active flexibility because you know you're tightening up, shortening one side, the the side opposite lengthens. So it's quite literally a beginning and end movement. I mean, it, it is. I mean, one leg's in the beginning, one's in the end, and there you go. I mean, and, and I can't think of a a more closely relatable uh, movement than that. So yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think the lunge is you know one of my favorites. It's not, I know it's the most common one, and you know to kind of wrap this point up, you know we talk about beginning and end ranges of motion, and it that it's the middle that gap is where compensations develop. Well, we already have enough compensations just based on being imperfect humans and moving imperfectly. So there are already imbalances there. And so traditional training is only going to further ingrain those compensations. And that's not what we want. We don't want to ingrain poor movement patterns just in, in the name of trying to get a big squat or a big deadlift, because at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Nobody at the end of the day, if you hit a triple is going to ask you, Oh, Hey, you know, could you have hit a home run if you squatted, you know, 405? Like, if you get drafted, they don't care because it, it doesn't translate. What translate is is efficient movement. And so by training the beginning and the end ranges and allowing the nervous system to understand how I activate and shut things off, then ultimately it will figure out that middle process without us interfering with it. And so... When you're doing the isometrics, it allows us to accomplish that, but it allows us to accomplish that by also recruiting the most muscle possible. And so another point is isometrics allow us to recruit the most muscle possible. Now, ultimately, again, I'm, I'm going to refer back to super training. I couldn't tell you what page is on, but I know it's in there somewhere. They talk about and understand that our body's only job is survival. We have to survive at all costs. That's it. It doesn't care about anything else. It doesn't care about TikTok. It doesn't care about, you know, whether Aaron Judge is actually going to hit the, make this home run mark. It doesn't care about if you're going to throw, you know, you know, 85 or 95. It doesn't care. All it cares about is survival, okay? And because of that, it's going to do everything that it can to conserve energy. And so the literature, and, and Chris, you may know, I, I don't know who exactly did it, <clears throat> but the literature shows us that our body is only going to allow us to recruit about 40, 50%-ish of our muscles. Is that, the, is that the correct number, Chris? I know somewhere between 40 to 60. I can never remember. Yeah, I, I always get it confused. Either, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a small it, percentage, right? It, 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 it's right around there. I always, I always get confused. But it's, let's, just say it's, let's just say it's even half, okay? Even half. So if, if the literature shows us, trust the science, which, by the way, don't trust the science. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get flagged for that one. Um, right, but <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, don't trust science. But the <laughs> the science says, or the literature shows us, okay, we can only contract about forty fifty percent of our muscle. That goes with everything. So I don't care if you squat two twenty five or four oh five. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you deadlift. 135 or deadlift 700 it doesn't matter it's the same thing your body only allows you to recruit about 40 percent of the muscle in an effort to conserve energy so how do we recruit as many motor units as we can there are basically three ways that you can do this one you can do max effort lifting and we talked about this a little bit in the speed podcast you can do max effort lifting. Is that the most efficient way? No, it's not. But you, you, but you can. The literature shows you you can recruit the most amount of muscle. All right, in max effort lifting. So that's one. Two, you can use something like the newbie. So, Garrett, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to text you later, and you're going to be on this show. We've already discussed this. The newbie, yeah, Garrett's, the, Garrett's the founder of the newbie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
Plug Garrett. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So here's your here's your plug, Garrett. Okay, you're going to be on the show. We already talked about it. The newbie can recruit more muscle fiber as well. The other way that you can do it is if you max overlifting is not an efficient way. The newbie, if you don't have a newbie, then the other way that you can do it is you can do it through isometrics. So what ends up happening is we talk about these yielding isos is that as you get to this point where things start to fatigue, you start going through 40, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the motor unit recruitment that you have. And that's when the shaking starts. That's when the good times start, right? That's when it starts to hurt and your leg starts to just, if you're watching me, you know, you can see it. If you can't see it, you just, your leg just shakes uncontrollably or your arm. And you've seen, you know, I post those on Instagram all the time because they look cool. That's where you start to recruit that 50, 60, 70, 80% of the motor, motor units that you can't do through conventional training. And that's another benefit of isometrics. And so I hear the same damn thing all the time. Well, I want big arms. Or I want a big bench press. Well, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant. What's, ir- what's relevant is how much muscle you can recruit and how fast you can turn that on and off. That is what's going to make you a better athlete. Not how much you power clean, not the myth of triple extension, not deadlift, not front squat. So I don't care if you front or back squat. Quite frankly, I couldn't care less. It doesn't matter. It's still teaching the wrong patterns, whether you do it front, back, zercher, whatever. It's all, it's all the same. How much muscle you can recruit and how fast you can turn that on and off is what's going to make you more powerful and more explosive. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to help you run faster and jump higher and throw harder. And boom, mic drop. That's all I got to say. What you got, Chris? All right. Last thing. So I'm going to end on this. Okay. So this goes back to your brain only con- only caring about survival. This this was on an old um, uh, one of these old uh, sports science shows, probably 30 years old. Uh, I used to but, love those. <laughs> all right, so these these things are pretty awesome. So they have this at the time the fastest football player in the NFL. They put him side by side with an ostrich. Okay, they wanted to see who was faster, the fastest football player or the ostrich. So they put them basically in a cage, you know, separating and divided, and they you know they put the finish line 50, 60 yards down, you know. And they raced. Well, the football player easily defeated the ostrich. Then in test number two, they had the football player chase the ostrich. Do you think the football player caught him? Not even close. <laughs> I would venture to say no. No, not even close. All right. The ostrich smoked him. Why is that? The ostrich could not care less about winning a race. The ostrich cared about survival. If it felt threatened, it was it was going to fight or flight, right? It, in this case, it was going to run away. But it, it could not care less about winning a 50-meter dash or 50-yard, whatever the case may be. I can't remember the distance. There's nothing in it for that ostrich. Okay, he couldn't care less about the trophy. But... This better provide food for me, or this better provide, you know, keep me from getting killed, and it will do everything it can. So, survival, <laughs> survival is absolutely key, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I mean, we've hit on a lot of a lot of points, and like I said, we can keep going, but we're we're gonna keep this under an hour. I mean, the other you know the other benefits it lengthens the muscles out. So you know, yes. this is how we get away from static stretching. You know, yes. This is why we don't static stretch because it's it's inefficient. It's it's antiquated. Isometrics, when done properly, can lengthen things out. Isometrics also That's train the aerobic system. A lot of people don't realize that that everybody thinks the only way to you know actually train the aerobic system is by actually going out and running. And although I personally do believe that there is benefit to actually feeling that, and Chris, you you know you may have a different opinion. You may agree. I'm not sure. We never really talked about that side of it, but 
you can utilize the aerobic system to recover all the other energy systems. And so, you know, one of the questions that we've, you know, had submitted to us and, and guys, by the way, we have gotten your questions and we're, we're, Chris and I are working on putting all this together of how we're going to answer all these. Cause I, I have a notebook full of them already. We've gotten so many emails and Instagrams and we, you know, the box that our, at our gym is full. So I, I got them. But anyways, the point is what somebody asked about why running poles is inefficient. Okay. Well, because you're not training the energy systems to do what it is that they're designed to do based on the sport that you play. And so like, this is why football players are just the most unbelievably unconditioned athletes on the planet because their, their, their conditioning is wrong. Like it's not how it works. So anyways, isometrics, for example, can help train the aerobic system to recover the other energy systems. And this is, this is important takeaway as well. So like, I'm going to share the story real quick, Chris, I'll take just a minute or two. And I know when you wrap this up <clears throat> and I wish Mandy could be on here tonight, but she can't be on, but I trained Mandy years ago for the Navy nautical 10 or no nautical 12, which I don't know. is like, what is it? 13 miles or something. And I can't remember the exact numbers, like 13 ish, give or take, but she did zero running for the entire training. None. She literally did not run a single yard yet. She set the best time that she ever ran in any race ever, ever. And Mandy used to be a big runner. That used to be her thing. She did not run a single yard for that race. All she did was isometrics. Because when you implement them the right way with the concepts that Chris and I have talked to you about, then you will get the, the benefit that you're training for. Remember, training should be predictable. You should, be all, you should always be able to predict the outcome based on what it is that stimulus you're providing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when isometrics are done that way, they have they have immense benefit in all kinds of categories. So so we covered a lot of information. Honestly, I think we're I think we should probably I don't know what do you think, Chris? We should probably do a follow up to this. Yep, okay? I, I agree. Yes, I I think we should do a follow because we can keep going here. So I don't want to leave you guys hanging, but we want to try to keep all our episodes under an hour for y'all. And so the timer's going off, and so we're going to wrap this up. And um, we we already have we haven't said anything to anybody yet, but we we have some really really good guests lined up for this show like we're talking big names and some guys that guys and and, and women excuse me so ladies you you know y'all know y'all know how i do when i say guys i i, I include you guys we have some really, really big names lined up for this show and including some people that are really some founders in this theory, you know, and, and we'll dive deeper into this because this is a really important topic that we want to make sure that we've been doing this for 16 dang years now. Like we want to make sure that you guys understand how to do this because it is really important. It can be very beneficial. So, you know, for, for the parent or the coach, Chris, who's listening to this, who, you know, maybe their kid can't get out to see you. Maybe their kid can't get out to ELP. Like, how could they begin to implement isometrics in their, you know, team's program? Or even at their kid who's maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine is kind of wants to grind out a little bit, but isn't mm -hmm. quite ready to be in a gym. How can they implement this? And how can we get started? Well, first thing, um, I would suggest that they, you know, they find someone who, can actually teach the technique. So, you know, look at one, you know, look at one of your videos, John, or, or maybe some of mine, we'll put some up there. I mean, so they can kind of get the fundamental movement patterns. Yeah. And understand. Reach out to it. Reach yeah. out to us guys. Yeah, absolutely. Like reach out absolutely. to us, message either Chris and I, you know, on, on Instagram or, or email, you know, ELP, you know, and, and we, we will help you and all that will be on Instagram we'll, or excuse me, YouTube. And we'll, we'll show you the right way to do it, but keep Sorry. I want to put that out there. Keep going, Chris. Absolutely. And then secondly, um, you know, start with, um, start with doing, start with like 10 seconds. All right. 10 seconds on 10 seconds off. Right. When I say start with 10 seconds, you're going to do numerous sets of 10 seconds. Okay. So maybe we'll stay, we'll say six sets of 10 seconds. ISO extremes. Um, 10 seconds is longer than you think it is at first. Until you get proficient. Once you get proficient, 10 seconds is nothing. You're going yeah. to be going for much longer than that. But you want to get the feel, under, get the feel of pulling into position, pulling into, finding the right position, pulling in, using muscles opposite of the way you think you're going to, you want to use it. And then once you get that feel, uh, yeah. Then you start getting the breathing pattern down, which is a very slow inhale, very slow, almost like meditation. Then right. you are, you know, you're ready to rock at that point. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think it's a good start. I, I think, uh, you know, some of the basics you can start with, I think the lunge is a pretty simple one to get, you know, get started with and, and understand guys like we're, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Like this is another three, four episodes at least. So, but we, if you start, if you're starting out, start give or take, okay, give or take length in position, front shin 90 degrees, try to get the back leg as straight as you can without super hyper extending the back. You squeeze that front hamstring, you squeeze the back butt cheek, and you just squeeze there. Start that kid out at about 10 seconds for like, what would you say, Chris? Uh, six sets of 10-ish? Six sets of yep. 10. Yeah, good. That way they have one minute of total work time yeah. within two minutes of total time. So, yep. and then, of course, again, that's a starting point, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's good absolutely. Yeah, it's it's the it's the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the starting block. It's the beginning right. stages of this, and it goes so much deeper than this. But start there and take away that position is key. It does you no good if you are completely like you know leaning over while you're doing this. That, that you're not training the right thing. So we have to we have to be in the right position. We have to engage the right muscles. We fight through the fatigue. And we squeeze and honestly, we teach the athlete or the client or the patient how to feel their body. And that's a whole other rabbit hole is how to feel the right muscles. All right. Feel it. Learn what the body can and can't do. And then you can start to kind of build from there. And we'll cover that in, in, in other episodes. And so I think I think today is, you know, this is a good start on, on what ISO extremes and isometrics are and how to implement them into your program. And, uh, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up with that, uh, you know, this evening. Um, Chris, how does everybody get in touch with you, man? Uh, send me an email if you uh, have any questions. Coach Chris. What's your, what's your email? There you go. Coach Chris at fastandagile.com. Okay, cool. Uh, social media? Social media uh, is fastandagile49. Cool. And there's some underscores in there too, right? Yeah. yeah. After every word in between the word and the number, there's, there's underscores. So yeah, fast and okay. agile 49. Okay, cool. Cool. And, uh, you know, you guys can follow us, uh, just all our handles are at, well, I guess Instagram, Facebook are elite level performance. And then, uh, Twitter is, uh, elite level P I think. Um, and then, uh, you can email us as well and, uh, you can send, you can send questions for the podcast as well. Send it to info at elitelevelperformance.com, info at elitelevelperformance.com. And like Chris and I talk multiple times a week. And so, you know, we'll, we're going to get to all of these questions. Um, you know, there uh, we got a lot. So keep them coming just because we haven't answered your question yet. Keep sending them. Okay. We're, we're working on how we're going to answer this and doing it the right way to make sure we give you guys everything that y'all deserve. So um, that's how you connect with us. And guys, the last thing is share the show. Okay. You know, I tell you guys, we we have had a couple of requests to do some ads on here. And right now, you know, we've decided we're not going to do that right now. And and we're doing that because we want to give you guys the real uncut, just raw look at to what being in the trenches. Like any coach can say that they know how to train somebody. Any idiot can put a barbell on somebody. But we got 60 plus years of experience in this. And so, you know, we've seen just about everything there is to see. We don't know everything, but we know a lot. And we want to give you guys the real raw uncut look at to what athletic development looks like. And so, you know, we, we don't want to be influenced by anything. You know, we, we want to give you guys this information because this is, you know, something we feel we need to do for our community. And so all we ask in return is that you share the show. Now you can Venmo me or Chris, if you want to Venmo is cool, go for it. You know, but guys, I see the numbers, Chris and I see the numbers we know who's listening to this show. I know where you are, okay? I know who's listening, and I know who's not sharing it. So if you guys want to keep seeing content, then share the show. We appreciate it. We do this for free. We take, you know, hours out of our week to get this done for you guys, and we want to continue to bring this to the community. So whether it's you post on social media, you, you talk to a friend about it, you know, you send a clip to a family member or a coach or whoever, get the word out there so we can keep bringing you guys this content and when i tell you we're just getting started man we're, we're just getting started chris just lined up two big 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 time names in this industry that uh, you guys are really really gonna want to hear from and we already have you know two or three others and uh man we're we're, we're four shows in 
And like this thing is is growing like wildfire, a wildfire. So keep sharing it, man. We appreciate that. Um, Chris, you got anything else you want to add, man? I think that is it. I think it's a uh, time <laughs> you need to get some rest. So do I. And uh, yeah, the uh, listeners' yeah. ears at this point. Yeah. No doubt. I got an early morning tomorrow and we'll, uh, we'll eventually tell you guys what I'm doing down here in New Orleans, but, uh, we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, share the show and, uh, yeah, man, we're going to talk to y'all soon. All, All right. right. Good, night. Yep. Good night. See you, Chris. See ya.